I'm Seattle Times political reporter Jim Bruner. And I'm Seattle Times City Hall reporter Dan Beekman. Let's talk politics. Welcome to episode 83 of The Overcast, the Seattle Times weekly politics podcast. My usual co-host Dan Beekman is on assignment today following the Seattle City Council's head tax repeal drama. Joining me as a guest this week is Tom Steyer. He's a California billionaire. He's in the middle of a 30-city tour trying to galvanize support for the impeachment of President Donald Trump. His town hall in Seattle tonight is being held at a uh, rental venue in the Soto area. By way of quick introduction, Tom Steyer spent 26 years running the hedge fund Fairlawn Capital. His net worth, according to Forbes, $1.61 billion. He exited the Fairlawn stake in 2012 to focus on political activism, notably working on climate change and other issues. He spent tens of millions of dollars supporting Democratic candidates who acknowledged the scientific consensus on global warming. Some of that landed in Washington state races. And Tom Steyer has been a a backer of some of Governor Jay Inslee's efforts to fight climate change. Thanks for joining me. Jim, thanks for having me. So let's get right to it. You have created an organization, I believe, called Need to Impeach, or a movement called Need to Impeach, and uh, with, that has a pretty straightforward goal. <laughs> <laughs> You've reportedly committed $40 million to the effort. Why did you decide to launch this campaign to impeach Donald Trump? I thought that he, the most important political fact of the United States today is that we have a reckless, lawless, and dangerous president who's putting our democracy at risk and putting the future of our country at risk. And therefore, I thought it was important for everybody to talk about that and to decide together whether, in fact, it wasn't urgent to get him out of office. Was there a moment that solidified your view that you needed to to jump on this particular issue? It wasn't that he did anything specific because I felt the pattern of lawlessness was so consistent and so obvious. It was more a question of waiting to see if someone else would do this and kind of holding my breath, hoping that someone would pick up the banner and start walking across the field. And when no one did, it became apparent that if no one ever does it, then it doesn't happen. So I decided, okay, I'm gonna be the person who does this. And obviously impeachment is a a high bar to reach, right? Maybe we can remind people of what the Constitution says. It's uh, you start with articles of impeachment in the U.S. House and if that passes by a majority, there's a trial in the U.S. Senate. And to remove the president from office takes a two-thirds vote. That's never happened in history, correct? That's right. The, the time that it didn't happen but it would have happened was with President Nixon, where I think it became clear to everybody, including President Nixon, that if he stayed in office, he would be impeached and convicted in the Senate and removed from office. And rather than go through that, he resigned with a deal to be pardoned. So that was the time when the actual Constitution wasn't, it it was about to be invoked and to prevent that, President Nixon resigned. And of course, notably, as people know who studied history, members of his own party even brought the message to him and said, look, if you don't go, we we will take action. And of course, maybe we can talk about whether that situation exists in the present time. Um, but, you know, given the difficulty, so the other two presidents who went through impeachment, Andrew Johnson in 1868, he was acquitted by one vote, famously. The other, of course, was Bill Clinton. I don't think I need to remind people 
of, of what happened there. Um, it's, it's a high bar, and maybe that's why you haven't seen others step up like you say needs to happen. Uh, what do you make of the argument that this is maybe something that just is not doable and that that's an argument for or against launching this effort? Well, I think that Nelson Mandela famously said, everything is impossible until it happens. So when you think about trying to go after justice, trying to tell the truth, try to step up in the face of unjust power, it always looks daunting and impossible. But what we're relying on is the facts, the truth, and the need to protect American democracy and the American people. And so rather than sit here and count votes, we're trying to go directly to the American people and say, there's something that is really rotten here and we need to act together. So let's talk about the bases for impeachment, for articles of impeachment that you see. I think on your website, you have listed eight impeachable offenses, starting with obstruction of justice centered on the firing of former FBI director James Comey over the Russia thing, as President Trump put it. Um, That's obviously a subject of an ongoing investigation by the special counsel, Robert Mueller. Are you prejudging the outcome of that probe? And, you know, why not wait to see when... Mueller lays all the cards on the table. Well, we're supportive of everything that Mr. Mueller does. Um, and we, but he is doing a very specific investigation that relates to two of the eight uh, charges that we have on our website. What we did was we went to 158 constitutional scholars and asked them, what are the criteria under which he could be impeached and is he guilty? And we did a two hour symposium with five of them, which we also put on the web. But if I think what you can see is a pattern of an attack on the rule of law, a consistent and illegal taking of payments from foreign governments, which I would put down to corruption, and an attempt to obstruct justice, if I were to kind of characterize all three. But as long as I'm speaking to someone who's a member of the free press, one of those eight is also a determined attack on the free press to control information, to intimidate people from reporting the truth, and to basically try to um, replace truth with his version of the truth. Alternate facts, some people have tried to, to say, exist. Uh, that, that is a truly hilarious and inaccurate statement for a lie. And you also have thrown in there, I think, uh, one other one that jumped out to me is abuse of the pardon power, which you know, the president seems to be focused right now on his ability, maybe even fascinated by his ability to pardon people. And you pointed out the first pardon, I believe, was the pardoning of former Arizona Sheriff Joe Arpaio. Why, you know, the president does have the authority, I mean, as far as I know, pretty unrestricted to to exercise the pardon power. And it's often controversial. And maybe some of those decisions aren't correct. What makes that an impeachable offense in your view? Well, I think if you look at the most recent number of pardons that people are talking about, which is a very large number that the president is supposedly considering, they're also putting in a context where he's sending a message to the people who are the witnesses to his lawbreaking that if, in fact, they don't go the normal way that a prosecutor like Mr. Mueller builds his case is by getting lower-level members of the criminal enterprise to turn states' evidence to avoid long prison terms. 
And so it's in their interest to turn the evidence and then he makes a deal with them so that they don't go to jail for extended periods of time. In this case, the president has the ability to pardon all of those members of the criminal enterprise who otherwise would go to jail for a really long period of time. And he's trying to use the pardon power to signal to them that they can refuse to answer, that they can be convicted, that they can go to jail for extended periods of time, supposedly, but he will let them out. So you're saying that by pardoning Joe Arpaio, and maybe he's supposedly he's talking about pardoning Rod Blagojevich, people convicted of federal crimes, that he's sending a message to people like Michael Cohen, his, his attorney and fixer, or Paul Manafort, his former campaign chairman? Well, he's also using the pardon power, obviously, for very political purposes. Joe Arpaio was in jail for um, taking advantage of Latino people, of going after them specifically, of taking away their civil rights, of actually putting their lives in danger and putting them through you know, extreme privation. And he was convicted of that crime, but he's someone who's a political ally of Mr. Trump. So that was actually a political move, not a... And so let's talk, you know, a resolution to start impeachment proceedings was put forth by Representative Al Green of Texas. Mm -hmm. And I believe it was basically tabled on a vote of the U.S. House on a 364 to 58 vote. Uh, most Democrats sided with Republicans in saying, let's, let's, not, let's not do this right now. Of Washington's 10 U.S. House members, only Representative Pramila Jayapal of Seattle voted for it. And in your um, news release promoting the town hall that you're doing on impeachment, you have not been shy about calling out Democratic elected officials. Uh, you said, or your people at least said in the news release, you know, that the, quote, inaction of elected leaders in Washington state reflects a broader neglect of their constituents' safety and well-being of the entire nation. Are you applying pressure to people like Representative Rick Larson, Representative Adam Smith, and others to take the impeachment cause more seriously? Well, what we see is that their constituents, that Democrats nationwide, and I, I haven't looked at the numbers specifically in Seattle or in the state of Washington, but Democrats nationwide, about three-quarters of them, want this president to be impeached. And they feel strongly that there's something wrong, and independents are a little bit under 50%. So the question I'd have is, if you're representing your constituents, and on the most important issue of the day, they're overwhelmingly in favor of something, I'd like to understand what, what your reasoning is. Do you think the president isn't unfit? Do you think he doesn't break the law every single day? Do you think that he's not a danger to the American democracy and the safety of the American people? What is the argument you have for not standing up for the impeachment of a reckless, dangerous, and lawless president? I want to hear the case. Or is this another question like climate denial where you never actually make the case, you just hope that the issue will go away somehow because it can't go away? And you think, obviously, that, and you're probably right, I'm sure that a lot of their constituents do support this, who are the Democratic constituents anyway, and maybe they'd like Vast to hear majority, the actually, explanation. Not quite a few. That's based on some polling. Um, you know, it seems to me, covering politics, that it, that it, it could be the case that, that some Democrats sort of fear that there could be a backlash to this, that the 2018 midterms are coming up. And if, if the uh, election is made sort of about impeaching Trump, then there could be a backlash. It could get his hardcore supporters to come out in droves. It could even get Republicans who are lukewarm on him to decide that they actually do need to come out to the polls. 
I mean, is that is that an argument that you've heard from some people who are reluctant? Have members of Congress who, for example, didn't support that resolution, have they told you why? That is, that is something I've definitely heard in the press, Jim. I've not had this conversation directly because we're going directly to the American people, not to the Congress people or elected officials. But I would say <clears throat> that what we're trying to do is tell the truth, protect the American democracy and the American people. That Those are our two goals. And so when someone gives us tactical political arguments against telling what we think is the most important political truth in the country and protecting the American democracy and the American people, it doesn't go that far with us. But I would also point out that while they have said publicly they're so worried about inflaming the Republican base, I think there's a question about encouraging Democratic voters, independent voters, moderate Republicans to know that we will tell the truth about the most important issues of the day when, when, the, when it's important to do so, like now. And if you want voters to come out and vote for you, I think it's important to tell the most important truths, and that's what we're trying to do. Do you think that some of the Democrats might be saying, well, there's a um, fair process point here, and that maybe they just haven't seen enough evidence? You know, you see the argument all the time, what should be the standard? It seems like you've already said that just based on the public evidence already, there's enough evidence that the president has obstructed justice. Is that how you feel? Well, you know, it's funny because the obstruction of justice does seem to me to be straightforward, but the one that seems to me to be a ridiculous laydown is the emoluments clause. In the Constitution, the president cannot take money from a foreign country. Now, that just makes sense, right? I mean, in 1792, would we have wanted George Washington to be getting payoffs from the French? Or would we have wanted... Um, FDR to be getting payments from the Nazis? No. So the fact is that Mr. Trump took a $500 million loan about three weeks ago from the government of China, personally. Now, that seems to me to be a fairly straightforward and large bribe from a country which we are at at minimum competitive with. Sorry, was that for the the Trump organization that development. Yes. Now he, he said, you know, he took some steps. He said when he became president that he was going to, you know, farm out that work to his sons, his family. Is it just evident that that hasn't happened? He hasn't severed it completely. Jim, he also said he was going to release his taxes. Did that happen? Does he own the Trump organization? Did that loan go to him personally? Why? Yes, it did. So I think there's no question that on a daily basis, he's made it clear to foreign governments, make payments through my real estate company to me. You also, I think, mentioned, and this has been brought up in the press, that investigated, you know, foreign leaders stay at Trump Organization hotels on trips here. Because they believe they are currying favor with the president of the United States. So he is taking his control over the United States of America and the American people and selling it to foreigners on a daily basis. Not okay. Not within a country mile of okay. Are you shocked ever? Or are you beyond shock? You know, there's this sense maybe that people are jaded to to what Trump has done because he's overridden so many previous norms that Republicans... And maybe even some Democrats and, you know, maybe even the news media hasn't made a big enough deal about, for example, the emoluments clause issues. Or do you think that it just doesn't land with the public because there's so much 
other news happening every day out of Donald Trump and his Twitter feed in the White House. I think that the way that the attack on the rule of law wins, I think the way that the criminality wins is by not by people agreeing with it, but people acquiescing to it and stopping opposing it. So when I see someone said, oh, you know, we're normalizing impeachment, I'd say, no, what you are doing by refusing to tell the truth, by hiding behind political expediency, is you are normalizing criminality in the presidency, and you are normalizing the degradation of our democracy, and we're just not going to go along with that. When it comes to these town halls, you... You, you get up there and you make your case and then you listen or you, you people ask you questions, right? And you've done, I think Seattle is your, is it your 15th stop? I think it's 15th or 16th. You're kind of midway, yeah. midway through. I mean, what have you heard, generally speaking, from the audiences at these events? So every part of the United States is different. So one of the great pleasures is getting to connect with people in different parts of the country. It is a great pleasure. And I consider these town halls to be a wildly undeserved privilege for me to meet these Americans, honestly. But I'd say the the similarity and the commonality between all of them is patriotic Americans trying to figure out how to protect the country and the democracy that they love. That's what I'm seeing. You know, I wrote a preview about your town hall, and I did hear from some readers who called and left me voice messages who we're concerned that a billionaire is going around the country and using his sort of influence and money to affect politics. Some of them are Donald Trump supporters. Others, I, I wasn't really sure, but one of them, for example, left a message saying, leave it alone. These billionaires are running around the country trying to screw this whole country up. It's scary. Leave it alone. And I mean, you must get that message. You must get people saying, um, you know, that they object to the Koch brothers, undue influence on politics with their money. What do you say to that? Are you the right sort of person or messenger to be bringing this as a, as a billionaire, former hedge fund manager or owner? Well, I would say I agree with them about the undue influence of money on politics. And I think it is scary and I think it's corrupting our democracy and is very dangerous. I will say that the organization that we have is a grassroots organization dedicated to the registration, engagement, and participation of American citizens that we are as open and transparent as possible. I'm literally sitting talking to you for public consumption to explain what we're doing and why. I put my personal face out there so people can understand this is not some faceless, dangerous person. This is an American who cares about the same things they do. But there's no question in my mind that we're seeing the corruption of American politics by big money enabled by the Supreme Court, pushed by the Republican Party, and basically in support, using the political system to support the big money interests themselves. So yes, I agree with your um, commentators, and I will, but I said at the beginning, I waited for someone to come in and tell this truth. If I weren't doing this, I would ask you who would be doing this, and I'm doing this out of a the same concern and love for America and our democracy that I see from the people who come to the town halls, many of whom are veterans and have sacrificed a great deal for our country, who are saying, this is deep in my heart and I will do what I can to protect it. Of course, many people may have seen the television ads you've been running. 
I think Fox wouldn't air one. Is that correct? Did you ever get one on there? We did get one on there, but they have had a policy pretty much of trying to prevent us from putting our ads, letting their viewers see our ads. And I want to circle back on, you mentioned grassroots. What do you mean that it's a grassroots effort? I know that you have had an organized house parties where people just get together with neighbors and, and talk about mm-hmm. whether you know we should impeach Donald Trump and the issues surrounding that. Is that the kind of grassroots activity you're talking about? Or you know, can you give me a sense of how many people have engaged with your group? Sure. So the need to impeach campaign is a campaign. But I started an organization called Next Gen America at the beginning of 2013, so it's about five and a half years old. In 2016, to just give you some measure, we were on 370 college campuses. We organized a drive to register 1.3 million American voters, and we knocked on over 12 and a half million doors. So when we talk about grassroots efforts, With our partners, we're probably the largest grassroots organization in the United States of America, having more direct voter-to-voter conversations, doing more phone banking, doing and talking to people under the age of 35 than anyone else in the country. This is just a couple of house parties. We did a training 10 days ago in Detroit for 370 organizers under the age of 30 to try and teach them how to have a conversation with someone, how to engage voters, and encourage them to participate in our democracy. And, and that is that directly tied to the upcoming midterms? You want to drive voter turnout? We want to, we have encouraged voter participation as the way to, our answer to our political problems is more democracy. If you look at what we're doing in the need to impeach campaign, we're going directly to the American people and trying to put their voice at the center of this conversation and put the power back with the people in the neighborhoods and the communities and basically trying to use that as the driving force in American politics. I mentioned earlier, you know, obviously the U.S. House hasn't moved forward on articles of impeachment. You've also had some public pushback, I think, from some top Democrats. Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer have sort of said that they're not thrilled about impeachment necessarily. At this point, David Axelrod, the former senior advisor to Barack Obama, tweeted that your impeachment ads seem to me more of a vanity project. I think you responded to that and weren't happy with his comments. Um, what do you make of those of those uh, very prominent Democrats who are pushing back against you? And you, have you had any subsequent conversations with them where they've where you've found any middle ground? Listen, in the United States of America. There are the people who are the elite politicians within the Beltway, and there's the rest of us. And the elite politicians within the Beltway don't like the idea of everybody else having an opinion of their own. And so they would like to control the conversation in the United States. They'd like it to be on the topics that they choose. And they're upset about the idea that there would be a grass fire talking about things that they are worried will mess up their opportunities in November of 2018. But I think if you go around the country, there's a very strong sense that the establishment politicians have lost contact with normal people. Well, that's something that Donald Trump talked about. He talked about the elites, and it was successful for him. Look, if you look at 2016, I always say there are two people who won the the presidential election. One was Donald Trump, who's not a Republican, and one was Bernie Sanders, who's not a Democrat. 
So the American people were very strongly sending a message, if you were listening, that politics as usual, the, politi the politics of inside the beltway, people who know everything at the expense of everybody else, is not reaching their needs. And when we talk to young people who vote at half the rate of other American citizens, they tell us specifically, we know a lot about the issues, we're passionate about the issues, we don't trust the system, we don't like the establishment, neither political party is talking to us about what matters to us. Although I guess we should remind, maybe say um, the most establishment candidate of all, Hillary Clinton, did win a majority of the popular vote, so maybe the, uh, the elites still have their, their constituents too. Of course, it was a binary choice at that point. I think if you, one of the unquestionable uh, takeaways from anyone who goes around the country and goes door to door, anybody who talks to young people in the cafeterias of universities, anybody who does grassroots conversation across the country finds that people are profoundly worried and unhappy. And that is something that you really see even in places like Seattle, which are booming, there's a sense that we are not going, that we do not have a mission as a society, that we do not have an understanding of what we're trying to create together. And you can't look at this and not, and not see that there is a sense of purpose that America has traditionally had, which we do not have now. You know, Tom, some of what you say sounds a lot like somebody who might think about running for office. I think you're, you know, you're very aware that people have talked or mentioned you, and maybe you've even talked about it, a possible candidate for governor of California, the U.S. Senate, maybe even the presidency. Is that something you're building toward with this effort? What we've said, and which is absolutely accurate, is we view November 6, 2018, which is Election Day this year, as an absolutely critical statement of where we are as a country. And we do not know, and neither does anybody else, what the outcome is going to be. As we consider this will be an extreme, a wildly competitive and difficult race across the country with two dramatically different views of what America means, what it means to be an American, how to relate to each other. And honestly, I don't know the outcome. And, the, and I don't trust the pollsters one bit. So until we know where we are as a country, I don't know what the right thing is going to be to do. If you had told me two years ago, so that would have been in June of 2016, that I would be sitting here talking to you about impeaching the matter. I said, I really don't think that's very likely at all. I mean, there are a lot of things I can conceive of, but that's probably not in the top hundred. A lot of things we never thought would happen have been happening in 2018. And that's why I don't want to tell you what I'm going to turn do, because I don't turn, know. Turn on the TV and see Donald Trump and Dennis Rodman uh, over there talking with the uh, North Koreans. Um, you know, I, I do want to throw in, you also, I mentioned earlier, you, you know, Governor Jainsley, our governor, I think have you, you two, I think, see eye to eye on climate. That's a big issue for him. He has also been discussed as a possible presidential candidate in 2020. Have you talked with him about that at all? Or do you think that he would be a good potential candidate, potential messenger on clean energy and on climate? I think Jay's really outstanding. I think he's a fantastic guy. I don't think anyone talks more thoughtfully and more purposefully about clean energy and climate than Jay Inslee. I have an immense respect for the man. Has he called you and said, hey, if I run, will you support me? 
No, he's not. Okay. Lastly, um, let's just sum up here. You know, if you, you're on this multi-city tour, you're trying to build the public awareness and support for impeachment, for at least launching possible impeachment proceedings against the president of the United States. Do you in your head have any sense of the odds of that happening? If you had to guess today, will it happen and, and when? I don't know. I think it's a process of education. I have no idea how it's going to work out. I know we're doing the right thing. And I want to at least recharacterize what I'm doing a little bit from the way you described it. You described it as trying to build momentum for impeachment. A very large part of what I think I'm doing and what I hope I'm doing is listening to the people in the audience. What I'm trying to understand, it's not just me going and preaching to them. It's, there is minimal of that. Most of what this is an attempt by me to hear what they care about, get their take on things, and understand from the bottom up how people are viewing where we are as a country, particularly with relationship to this president. All right. Well, thank you for joining me. Appreciate Jim, it. Jim, thank you very much for having me. That's all for episode 83 of The Overcast. Thanks to my guest, Tom Steyer. Thank you to listening. Thanks again to KNKX for having us in the studio to record. If you support the locally owned independent journalism that makes this podcast possible, please visit the Seattle Times and consider a subscription. Go to seattletimes.com backslash support. And if you have comments on this podcast, you can reach me at on Twitter at Jim underscore Bruner, my usual co-host Dan Beekman, at D Beekman. If you like the podcast, also give us a review on iTunes. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other places you get your podcast needs. And until next week, have a cloudy day.